We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a beautiful night in Chiefs Kingdom. Welcome to Outside the Trenches, presented by our good friends at Jack Stack Barbecue. Check out their tailgate packages and game day specials and help us continue to pay it forward by nominating those who deserve some delicious barbecue. I am BJ Kissel, joined by the man, the myth, the Texas high school state champion wrestler (laughs) who also played a little football, Mr. Nick Leckie. Nick, how are we doing tonight, man? Post-game show. Hey. We're we're recording right after the game. I just, it does not feel like a Monday night. That was the most awkward Monday night football game I've ever seen in my life. I'm not going to complain about no football, but that, that wasn't great football for like, it wasn't enjoyable in the same ways that we've come to expect from this chiefs team with Patrick Mahomes. Well, and then if you're new England too, like how do you expect to win? If you're going to fly in day of stay at a hotel for like three hours, that's just weird. Like I I like to, you know, it's just, but with all the COVID, I get it. I mean, it's, you know, you do what you got to do. And, um, and they almost pulled out a victory. I think with Cam Newton, this is a different story altogether. I think it's a different story, but I'm never that guy. Like, I don't want to play the, well, if Cam Newton was there, everything would have happened the same exact way. And the plays would have been called this. Like, everything would have changed. And so I don't like those kind. That's just a, a buzz thing for me. Uh, one of my little pet peeves, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that when we get into this show, because we're going to talk about the Chiefs defense and the plays that they made, there needs to be the clarifier. Maybe we just put a blanket one at the beginning of the show that Brian Hoyer is not Cam Newton. <laughs> like, we just we just leave it there. Uh, we can talk about the not great pocket awareness on multiple plays. When you hear yeah. Patriots fans talk about this game and Chiefs fans talk about this game, they're going to be com- like they watch two completely different football games. Hopefully we'll be able to give both sides of it in this show. But yeah, in this one, no Cam Newton, no Sony Michelle for the Patriots running game as well. Although they did bring Dean Harris, who went over 100 yards in this game, thanks to a couple of uh, chunk runs there. Uh, but they brought him off IR with a hand injury that he had been dealing with and missing time. And then for the Chiefs, obviously no Chris Jones as well, which I really think showed up, particularly with all of the changes that the Patriots had in the interior of their offensive line, where the center from last week moved to left guard, the new the new center hadn't played a whole lot, and then the left guard moved over to right guard. These guys are in different spots. Um, so when you hear about it from the Patriots side, it's going to be a lot of excuses, and a lot of this guy, you know, Cam wasn't there and this and that. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs defense and the Chiefs overall made enough plays to win their 13th straight game, extending their franchise record, Nick. And then thanks to our friends at CBS, you got to give credit where credit's due when you see a stat. 
4-0 for the fourth straight year, first time in NFL history, Nick, that anyone's ever done that. Now just another line for Andy Reid's resume. That's so cool, too. And it just talks about a fast start, you know, and it talks about just everyone being in sync. And then it changes, right? Because I, I always like to break up a game uh, in four – or I'm sorry, your season in four different phases, right? So first yeah. quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. And some teams start out hot, 4-0, and then they just um, – just for whatever reason, just suck it up for the rest of the season. And so I'm always leery about 4-0 starts because now it's you got to really shift it to – we're zero and zero. We're zero and zero. So second second quarter going on, and that's how you kind of got to look at look at your NFL schedule. Yeah, if you had to grade the Chiefs, obviously going four zero is ideal. That's what you want. But if you had to put a grade on the Chiefs four zero start for what you expected and then what you've seen, how would you grade their first four the first quarter of the season for them? So I would I would give it a, a B plus. Uh, and, and I would say just B plus because there's a bunch of stuff that needs to be improved, but they've done whatever it takes to win games. And, you know, whether that's defense scoring or, or special teams or, or offense, they yeah. do what yeah. it takes, but it hasn't been pretty. And the way I say B plus, why not like a C plus is because we're not sure if Andy Reid's holding plays back either. You know, he's been known to do, he's been known to, to put some plays in his pocket and say, you know what, these are December plays. Let's save these for December and, January when we need them. So yeah. that's why it's a B plus. Cause it's like, yeah. you know, they're not really running, you know, they're they, like a Bugatti. I've been told a Bugatti has two keys, right? <laughs> one for normal mode and one when you want to go 250 miles an hour. And so yeah. he's not, he didn't have the second key in yet. He's still in his, in his uh, fanny pack or sling bag. Uh, just chilling. When I was a kid, I had a little completely off the wall story, but when I was a kid, I used to have a, a little go-kart. And I used to put like six socks on my hand so I could reach back and flip the governor and then like hold the gas cap up. I could go like twice as fast, but I literally, it was like my hand was on fire. So all oh I had was socks. So I literally put like seven, seven tube socks on my hand. I just sit back there <laughs> driving with one arm. But anyway, what did you do with seven tube socks? It's a family show. This is a family show. That's why we don't record after the I just thought we can't record after the game. Before, before we get into the actual show and our five <laughs> before we get into the show and our five segments, we have not yet, we've been four episodes, we have not yet introduced our fearless leader behind the glass. If we were in the same room, there'd probably be some glass, but there's not. So he's in a different place. But Justin Kim, we just want you to pop in real quick and say hello to the people to let people know we are talking to somebody else the whole time we do this show. Say hello. There he is. <laughs> I am here. And uh, I don't know. I just run stuff behind the camera. <laughs> yeah, we, Talk we about your it. free Chipotle. Talk about your free yeah. Chipotle tonight. Um, so I actually. Oh, oops! I'm messing with the with the overlays here on accident. But uh, I this is perfect because it shows what you do. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to fix it, but uh, I'm seeing He's Nick is not actually Tyron Matthew. <laughs> Um, yeah, I went to Chipotle and, and, uh, the lady behind the counter who was asking me for my, for my orders is just talking me up and I'm so like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm vibing. Just, just being nice. And then finally get to the end of the line 
and she, she made a joke about like, oh, not being able to pay with with my card and I had to pay with cash. And I was like, oh, let me just whip out my uh, my rubber bands here. And so we just had a great laugh. And then all of a sudden she was like, you know what? You're pretty cool. I'm, I'm Tonight's on me. And I was just it's the Chiefs win. I went to grab Chipotle right afterwards before filming the show. Got some free Chipotle. And you know what? It's it's a great night. That's awesome. I wish I was European and could wait till 9.30 to eat, by the way. (laughs) I would be dead. I would have so much hangriness. I would just be dead. Exactly. I I didn't want to miss the game. I need some macaroni with my kids at like 5.30. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Justin, thank you for everything behind the scenes. Nick and I are going to break into this show right now with our first segment in the Fire Kissed Wings. So hot right now. Top story. And that is that the Chiefs defense stepped up in this game. We talked about it a little off the top, and there's going to be a version from the Patriots side that talks about what they had on the offensive line and what they had at quarterback and then switching to Jared Stidham later in the game. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs defense still stepped up and made plays. And at the end of the season, when we look back and everyone watches the highlights of Patrick Mahomes making plays all over this and we don't give enough credit to the Chiefs defense and Tyron Matthew gets mad about it and then uses that as fuel Let's think back to games like this, Nick, where the defense is the reason the Chiefs won this game. Yeah, it really reminds me of last year where, where offense struggled a bit for the first part of the season, um, you know, when they didn't have Mahomes and then when he was coming back. And I don't feel like the Chiefs clicked on offense till December. And it was the defense all along, the unsung heroes. And it's kind of the same thing these past couple of games with, with the Chargers and then with this one tonight where – Defense has stepped up. It didn't look pretty. Uh, they were, you know, New England was able to run the ball at will, but, you know, no Chris Jones, um, no Mike Dana. Uh, you know, that really hindered, you know, that defensive line from stopping the ball and getting rotation in. Uh, so I think it's something that they kind of proved, though, too. You really have to um, have success against the run to win games, too, because the Chiefs are like, you want to run it? Run it all day. You know, we'll let you. Well, I'm not going to let you, but it really it's not how you win games. You just step up they can run it all they want. You step up and make one negative play in the running game, and all of a sudden you're at second and 12. Um, <laughs> or you, get, you know what I mean? Or you end up at like a third yeah. and eight because you have one negative play, and all of a sudden at third and six is a third and 10, and then you have a problem. And if you just do that, you can get a couple of first downs, but you can't just march your way down the field without being able to pick some of those chunks up. And that's what they did with Cam Newton. We saw yeah, exactly. the power running game and those those quarterback designed you know, counters and all the stuff that they do that you don't normally see with a quarterback, even on designed runs with Lamar Jackson. It's not the same kind of running scheme. Well, then they'd throw a little bit of play action. They'd throw some crossers behind, and that's how they'd open it up. Well, when you're not using the quarterback as your runner, the numbers are all screwed up. So I know yeah. there was a lot of people on social media that were talking about, well, it doesn't matter. They'll just give it to Damian Harris. And running game is a running game. Well, no, it's about numbers. It's about numbers in the box. And when you don't have to account, that quarterback is a wasted number with every other quarterback in the league that doesn't have these designed runs. It is. And, and we've seen a shift to, to you got to have some, some mobility, some, uh, some mobility and ability to run the ball at quarterback and, and to run the ball to be scary, not like Hoyer did where, where he got a, a picked up a third and five or picked up a six yard gain on us on a, on a scramble play. Um, you know, you want someone you can say, you know what, we're, we feel confident with the one extra blocker that this quarterback's going to run it. And, and I think that Spags also did a great job of, you know, when in the first quarter they saw they run the ball, they yeah. started doing yeah. run blitzes on first down, you know, started blitzing the same linebacker, you know, started getting penetration with the defensive lineman. And then I think yeah. that that's how you stop the run is penetration. 
Yeah, I'm excited to go back and watch this game because so much was made of Willie Gay starting after for the first time in his career here in week four. And so much was made the first few weeks about how the linebackers were playing and some of the advanced analytics out there that grade those, um, which aren't always the same as what the players, coaches and what the people inside the locker room think. I'm not saying that's the case, but uh, there's two different you know foods of thought there, but um, or rules of thought there. But uh, let's move on to the next segment because there's a lot to get to here. I know the, the defense overall, Nick, just to put a bow on that point, four takeaways on the night. The Patriots hadn't given the ball away four times in a game in eight years. And obviously the majority of that is with Tom Brady at quarterback, which makes things pretty nice when he's going through his prime. But uh, no Cam Newton. The defense still stepped up and made enough plays to win this football game. We'll get into some of the individual players here uh, in a couple of segments. But uh, right now I want to go to the always consistent, always superb, Hickory Pit Beans segment. So much better at these, Nick. After week four, you made fun of me so much at the beginning, and now I butchered it by talking about it. But anyway, let's get to Travis Kelsey because that's the guy. If you've been listening to this show or you listen to our old show, uh, we're not shy about whenever the Chiefs' offense is struggling a little bit. Some other guys will make plays, but at some point, Travis Kelsey is going to step up and make a really big play that's going to make everybody relax and just kind of get past it. And to me, he made that play tonight. I know he finished with just three catches for 70 yards on his birthday as the guy confusing prime time to show us why he is the best tight end in the NFL and has been for the last several years. But on that Chiefs' key drive after the Taco Charlton strip sack, uh, when the game was tight, it was a big game-changing play on the defensive side. The offense gets it back. They go seven plays, 85 yards for that touchdown drive. But it was the 45-yard pass to Travis Kelsey, Nick, that really showed on that play everything about what makes Travis Kelsey so special. It is. And and I think that the Patriots did a great job of sort of bracketing him all night and almost doing old-school 1970s football where – they were giving him shots. I mean, you know, there were defensive linemen who were giving him shots when he's running around. So, I mean, you know, it was almost like like with a tackle with the defensive end versus a strong DM with the running back. There was chip help uh, with for, for the corners. You know, McCourty did did some coverages. There was some really nice stuff. And just sooner or later, uh, you're going to find him. You know, Mahomes is going to find a security blanket in Kelsey. And it, it does, man. You can tell, like, once they click, once they make a big play – He's like the motor that that runs that runs the offense, right? Or that that gets him going in a sense. I know Mahomes is the true engine, but but right. he helps him get over that hump and be like, okay, this is going to open him up, right? This is going to open up everything else. And and you know who's getting close to that? Who, who could be the Hickory Pit Bean star next week? Is Edmondsler? Yeah. He's, there's going to be a lot of people that are down on him from this game. His longest run was just 13 yards. Uh, but somebody who played in the trenches, who, who knows what it means for a running back to, to pick up those extra yards, he's always falling forward. And mm-hmm. so every time you see those big piles, he's always kind of squirting out the end of it to pick up those extra few yards and his ability to bounce off contact and make the first guy miss, all those things that we talked about. He really, I know he finished 16 carries, for 64 yards he still averaged four yards a carry yes. in this game yes. and that was with a lot of attention i'm really glad I'm, i love when tony romo to go on a side story i love when tony romo does games because that's really hard to do live to break things down but the way he explained how the numbers in the box because those are the types of things live mm-hmm. that if i try to break it down or look at it um in that way that's kind of what i do I always track where the safeties are but then i just walk and watch and see the numbers inside the box and I'm, I'm glad that he illustrated that when you've got just five or six guys when you have a light box that's an automatic key for a quarterback to kill it which you hear Mahomes yelling or just get into a run situation because 
kind of like what we talked about Cam Newton screwing up the numbers in the box when your quarterback's the one running it. But when you've got the right numbers, you call a run play and you go. But the way that they were playing it, I'm not going to pretend I'll defer to you on that, but when you right before you snap the ball and you see that it's a light box and then it's an easy read from Mahomes, and all of a sudden then guys are crashing down and think they're running lanes and they're not allowing any big chunk plays to happen. It's it's a confusing thing. And I it's one of those where Coach Reed, I saw him in the postgame presser say there's a lot in this game that's going to be good teaching tape for us. And that's just one of those advanced things that Mahomes is going to have to learn that even in those situations where you would automatically think to run the ball, that uh, maybe they're just baiting you into thinking they want you to do that in that little chess game. It, it is. And it's it's something too that that I saw Belichick use was was like, you know, Reed is really good with the pre-snap motions, um, mm-hmm. using the cadences. And I think that that Belichick did kind of the reverse to Mahomes, where where they 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 would show a five man box or they would show an even front, and then they yeah. would roll into yeah. and they would shift to an odd front uh, when and drop a six man into the box, you know, right before the snap. And it's it looks easy, it looks really easy when when you know they 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 shift players and you you know you move whatever. But once you get in that snap cadence and 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 they move, it's a tough it's a tough adjustment because you can't talk. When, when the quarterback's going through his cadence because then someone will jump off sides and you just got to roll with it and pick it up. But I think a teachable yeah. moment is when you see five in a box, expect movement. And I think the Chiefs align. They tried to fire out and just crush people, and that's why you whiff, and that's why you saw the cross dogs coming in and you saw them get stops with five, five men in the box, and that's that's a big no-no because you yeah. want to yeah. win as an O-line versus five in the box. Yeah, that's yeah. Part of the, one of the things. Like, that's just one of those games where I want to – like understand the game at that level to properly appreciate the chess match going on between Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. Because a lot of times, you know, you have two like great head coaches going up against each other, but they're both like offensive guys or they're yeah. both defensive guys. This is an offensive head coach. who's one of the best of all time against the defensive coach. who's one of the best of all time. I know CBS put up that graphic, uh, which is funny because Matt McMullen and I at the Chiefs used to talk about this stat in particular. Um, about when Andy Reid and Bill Belichick go against each other and the total number of wins that they have. And if that's the most all time between two head coaches facing at any point, and uh, I know they had the Don Shula one up there, but uh, it's funny when I saw that stat, but that's just two giants, two of the best to ever do it uh, going head to head. And that, like I said, that chess match that is at a level of football beyond what most of us can do. Where I'm just like, Oh, it was a nice pass. Oh, it was a nice pass. <laughs> <laughs> and then slight, slightly more than that. But uh, I wish I understood it's nuanced. It, that stuff. Yeah, it's very, very nuanced. Um, but yeah, get back to this original segment. Travis Kelsey, he's just always consistent and always make plays. And the one thing about that um, that 45-yard catch, it was his ability at the top of his route to break it off. And that when you do that, you can't round those routes. Like when he's running an out route, what makes him special is his ability to cut on a dime and make it like an angle and not like kind of round it off. And that's where the athleticism comes for those guys at the second level or at the top of their route to be able to manipulate the defensive backs, either with their shoulders or with their just body or the way they get down and come out of their breaks. And you can see it plain as day on that replay that the defensive back is right there. And as soon as Kelsey got to the top of his route and broke to the outside, he created like four yards of space in like a half a second, and then Mahomes had the ball right there for him. As soon as he catches it, nice over-the-shoulder catch. Then you see the athleticism and the acceleration to get down the field where he's basically running like a wide receiver. I don't know. It was just um, 
there's a lot of things, a lot of ways I want to describe it right now at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday. I can't describe it the way that I want to because it's a family show, Nick. Right. It is. Well, okay. I, for, I forgot that one time, but you know, the thing is to me, I always thought Kelsey looks slow uh, when he runs, but I did not realize until tonight and he walked away from uh, McCourty and I was like on that catch, like, like he, like, like they were like, like neck and neck and he just walked away from them. Like, I was like, Oh my God, he's got some nice wheels. Yeah. Smooth runner. Like uh, reminds me of like a, uh, like Colin Klein type where you're like, you don't look that fast. And you see him just striding. <laughs> Just a long strider. Uh, I believe the term is he's an efficient runner and a long strider. Did you just call him sneaky fast? I did. I did. I, that's called it's called a snake diss on the street, BJ. It was a snake diss. Like I didn't okay. think he was that fast. Like oh wow, he's fast. Yeah. All right. You see how fast I move us to this next segment, and that is the cheesy <laughs> corn bake. That you can't not mention this stuff. You go to Jack Stack and you thank you. You go to Jack Stack, you get a meal. You're going to talk about a lot of things, but you can't not talk about the cheesy corn bake because it's freaking delicious. And My wife's favorite. Ooh, nice. But this is also the stuff that you can't not mention. And on this show, we got to mention the stuff that wasn't very good or things that need to be better or could come back and bite them. And I know the one thing we were texting during it uh, early in the game because you talked about this during the old show. Um, and you've talked about it already this year. It's just the red zone offense needs to be better. They need to be able to punch it in. They got they settled for those two field goals early, which really would have changed the complexity of this game, in my opinion. Right. And if the, anytime you get down there, you expect a field goal. And and they they posted a stat on the game tonight, and they said they were 29 of 30 in the red zone, right? Which means they're they've done they've got at least a field goal and 23 TDs. So all those trips, you know, they've only missed seven times without a TD, but still it's the red zone run game that concerns me. Like, okay, okay. I get it. I get it. You get a TD. That's fine. But the fact that the chiefs cannot run the ball in the red zone, it's going to present an issue down the line. And, and back to that B plus grade, is this Andy Reed pocket and plays, right? Is he not unfurling the mast or the sails on his pirate ship and, you know, full sail? <laughs> he just kind of like have the, the, the dinghy or the, the, the transfer uh, and is just kind of just putting around like on like the electric motor, right? Like he had to turn on the gas, right? The second key in the Bugatti, right? Yeah. Is he holding stuff back? But it still is, it still is upsetting that, that they're really getting stuffed with that, that run game. Yeah. And the other one I got to talk Harrison Butker mi missing an extra point for a third straight game. And we're not going to pretend that Harrison Butker is still not one of the best kickers in the National Football League and still not a guy. If there's a 58 yarder, you know, with the game on the line, he's the guy that I want kicking it. But eventually, if, he, if this continues, one of these is going to come back to bite them. And you'd really hate for them to lose a game or for the end of a game and the decisions and the, the strategery to be altered because the chiefs are only up by three instead of four. And all of a sudden the field goal changes everything. And then all of a sudden this, just the schematics and I don't know what word I'm looking for right now. I'm drowning, but just the, the decision-making process changes completely. If that in a situation where it could come back to bite them later, they might not lose the game, but all of a sudden the decisions change because they're not making these kicks. They got to figure it out. It doesn't look like it's a snap. It doesn't look like it's the hold um, just from the outside looking in. Uh, but he's good enough to make those. And that's definitely something that Dave Tobe and company, they've got to fix because if this continues, it will bite them at some point uh, when they get into the playoffs or whenever it is that you got to make big, you got to make the gimmies. And he's definitely proved himself with the chargers, you know, kicking what, like four game winning yeah. field goals or whatever it was three. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, but you're right. I mean, it is something where you, you'd like to clean it up. Right. And, and we're nitpicking at this point, but 
Right. That's an extra point, and you need you need to convert those because you're right. At some point, it does change up your your scheme wise. Um, in two minutes, where you're like, well, crap. Well, this field goal is not guaranteed right now because he's missing extra points. And and I feel like right. sometimes right. kickers, it's a confidence thing. If you don't have that confidence, then you know you you're no good. Yeah, if it keeps him on edge and it keeps him humble, if he if this is what he has to work his way through and then he gets past it without it having to come back to bite them and lose a game for it to kind of click and for him to get past it, then we'll use this as a learning experience and he can get better moving on. I know that'll probably be the messaging for you know some of the coaches or some of his teammates in there that, you know, we'd rather miss during a win uh, than miss during a loss when it's really going exactly. to count. But, uh, the other things you got to talk about – you talk about Patrick Mahomes and uh, it's weird to go back and look at the final numbers. Cause I was looking at the box score earlier to be that box score analyst, but he was 19, <laughs> 19 of 29. So he's completely what 66, 65% of his passes, 236 yards, not a lot, but two touchdowns, no interceptions. And it feels like, you know, he made the, the biggest play that he, he made in my opinion was the run, uh, the scramble he just had and Tony Romo talked about it. Just, his innate ability to know when to run and when to scramble when those, even when they're dropping eight, uh, you think when they're dropping eight that he wouldn't be able to run basically a third of the side of the field with really no one around him. Uh, not that he's not fast, uh, but uh, it was a little bit surprising, but yeah, I, you're trying to nitpick, you're trying to find the negatives. And with Patrick Mahomes, maybe it's some of those situations of those looks that he was getting. Uh, there were, what, two interceptions that should have been made that were dropped on balls that if those balls are caught, this the narrative surrounding Mahomes' game completely changes. And so for the best player in the NFL and the standard that we're holding him to now, like he didn't play to that standard. And let's give some credit to Bill Belichick and the mental things that were going on that I won't pretend to understand, but give them both enough respect to know that they were two of the giants in this game uh, going at it in prime time, but uh, it's being picky, but those are a couple more of the things that you just got to be better. Cause if it wasn't for Brian Hoyer's horrible situational pocket awareness and, wow. a, and a beneficial, you know, call uh, oh, went the chief's wow. way um, that was absolutely horrible, but let's not pretend and not at the same egregious level, but that was not a penalty on Tyron Matthew. That was an interception. It should have been called. Those guys can make a little contact. They can call holding if they want or something, but he did not adjust, alter that route any more than we see a dozen other times during a game. But um, anyway, the Brian Horace situational awareness game is how I'm going to probably remember this one. Right. I'm going to think of it as the, the Frank Clark uh, get a sack <laughs> when you need it uh, game yeah. for sure, because that's just so awesome. But and I think too, I th I'm glad you mentioned the, the the two dropped interceptions. I mean, even the one that that hit Hill's hands, I mean, that could have been intercepted too late. Um, yeah. And then the the one in the, the first drive, you know, first couple plays, you know, that that should have been a pick. So yeah. that changes yeah. things. But I love how how we we expect so much from Mahomes too. Yeah, that is like, that we consider this an off game. Yeah, I don't think they'll ever say it publicly. And now that I'm not locker room, I can't ask. But when he throws a ball like that, just the way that the one to um, that Hill almost caught that went between a few guys, I'm almost curious if Demarcus Robinson ran the wrong route because it seemed like they were they were too close together for that kind of route on a non really a broken play. That mm -hmm. there were too many bot like Demarcus was right there, and so I could be I could be 100 wrong. It was just the way that he threw it, but it looked so awkward when he threw that ball that he either completely underthrew it to Robinson or he was going to Hill and Robinson should have cleared it out or not been around. Um, that's just my guess from watching, but like I said, I could be, and there's a good chance that I am wrong.
Right. And that was the one that looked like a duck, right? That ball was just yeah. flailing. Yeah. I, I think there's there no reason for like it to be an awkward throw. Maybe just second guessed it as he was throwing. Cause he saw like nine defenders right there and Bill almost still caught it. But it just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that doesn't normally happen. You don't see stuff like that where guys that are that close together um, at the end of a route. No, it's so true. And it came out so poorly too. It looked like an indecision or he wanted to change it, you know, midway through his throw and just kind of, you know, yeah. went in between them. But yeah. that's what happens when you, you know, doubt yourself. Yeah. Something was going on there. All right, let's move to the second to last segment. And that is the brisket ribs and burn ends. Uh, those are the top three things that normally if you order barbecue, it's going to be one of those three things, particularly at Jack's deck because they're all delicious. Uh, but our top three observations from this game, uh, Nick, we need to combine them or we can do them on our own, but I want to start with the two second year defensive backs. We talked about a lot of guys defensively we about Tyron Matthews pick six taco Charlton strip sack ended up being a key in the game. You just mentioned uh, Frank Clark making a play on <laughs> the last play of the first half, which is teaching tape for quarterbacks on what not to do when you have no timeouts and you're in field goal range. Um, I cannot do do believe a veteran quarterback did that. How do you I not do that? That is what you see Justin Herbert do. That is what you see a rookie quarterback and you're like, don't ever do that again. That's yeah. not what you see a guy who's been in the league for 11 years and plays for the Patriots that mm-hmm. Bill Belichick loves um, to be there for five, what, five years? He backed up Brady or he's been there five years. Uh, but anyway, Top three observations mine are the two second-year defensive backs, Rashad Fenton and Juan Thornhill. I thought both played fantastic. A lot of Fenton's plays were brought up during the broadcast. Those were easy to see because he's obviously like that the ball away. I know he gave up the touchdown. You and I spoke about this earlier. That's just one of those, like, he didn't get burned. I'm not upset with his effort or his technique or anything on that play. He just he kind of played the back shoulder like, he, like Tony Romo said and then uh, was maybe, what, six, eight inches away from the ball. There's not a whole lot you can do in that situation. That's it for Cat. No, it was great placement for from Stidham as well, too, just just to throw it there where, where Fenton yeah. wasn't. And and they tried him all day. Like, did they kept going back and forth, like, or they kept going that they tripped, trying Fenton, trying Fenton. It was, was really cool thing about it. Yeah, it really was. They didn't want to really go there. Yeah, it seemed like they were attacking him uh, individually for sure. And it wasn't just his ability to make plays on the ball, which we saw. Uh, there was a play that he made on a tackle for loss earlier in that game that uh, Tyra Matthew was kind of in the area. The, the broadcast footage doesn't really show you a great angle of it. This can really be one of those plays that you want to see, like those secondary angles and see what like Luke Benna and Dane Van Wy and those guys that uh, work for the Chiefs that are on the sidelines getting those shots. Hopefully Luke or Dane got the shot of that play, but Rashad Fenton worked his way through a block on the outside. It was one of those swing passes, little uh, slip screens. And he fought his way through it and ended up blocking the tackler and um, – or excuse me, tackling the blocker and getting to the ball carrier. I think it was um, it was Damian Harris at the time, but uh, Rashad Fenton being physical. And then the other one, Nick, uh, Juan Thornhill. We saw – we know he had ball skills, but you saw him fly downhill from the safety position uh, and make some hits, and that's good to see. I love seeing safeties fly downhill and be physical in the run game. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so cool to see when, when they unleash like that, especially a guy like, like him from, you know, um, he was such a, such a big hitter in college, and then for him to, to, to make that gap, so a lot of people lose that momentum. They lose that edge or they, they kind of get lost in the plays. And, and he always just comes downhill. Like when they ask him to, to stop the sweep, uh, stop those outside runs, you know, that's one way you do it. And just get low too, man. Sometimes you got to take on those tackles and guard. You just got to get low because then it'll make those big guys think, 
I want to get cut again. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, hesitant <laughs> to come out here, right? To come out uh, and this, and then that's when get around. I joked Thornhill when I saw him earlier in the offseason that you know you you injure like injures his knee, he's kind of out, but you you have that just like pent up energy. So like the whole time he's rehabbing his knees, right? His legs are right. He's just been doing curls and just doing bench, and like he came back jacked. Like I don't know what his official yeah. weight was, but like. His upper body, like he physically looked a lot bigger. And like I joked with him about it. I was like, dude, you look like Laron Landry. Like right now. Like, what have you been, what have you been doing? Trying to like linebacker? Like, what are you Explore. doing right now? <laughs> but, uh, well, you're, but no, you look good. And you see it, you see it transfer to the field. Like Damian Harris isn't a small dude. And if you're gonna sell out and you're gonna run and throw your body around, these guys do. Uh, it's not like getting that big and that physical is all of a sudden going to give them the confidence to throw their body. They're doing that anyway. This is protecting them from injury and stopping guys in their tracks when they come up to make plays like this. And for him to throw his body and just to put a guy like Damian Harris down uh, without, without falling forward to stop him in his tracks. I love seeing that from the safety, particularly a guy who you, the first thing you talk about Thornhill's skill set, you're going to talk about his ball skills. That's what he was known for. He had 13 picks at Virginia. We saw it last year uh, with the pick six against the Raiders, had a few other interceptions, and we're already going to start to see it this year. That The Chiefs have a special one, and the more comfortable he gets, the more football he sees. He's going to continue to make plays, and uh, him and Matthew back there and Daniel Sorensen made some big tackles tonight mm-hmm. uh, again, so that was great to see. It was cool. And I think this, the, the cool thing about the defense is, like you said, is you give up these big runs and it's it's all fine. Make a march down the field. And then, you know, when it comes down to it, getting turnovers when it counts. You know, I think yeah. that, that that's what they do. And it's almost what, what the Chiefs defense expects at times, too, is to get that pressure and then make those balls sail a bit higher and then get those picks. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss to not, not talk about Frank Clark. Like, you know, yeah. just yeah. playing playing supremely – disciplined um you know they they would run to his side or they would check away from him on those outside sweeps um you know they would they would crack back on a, with a wide receiver um and then when it when it came time to it you know he'll pin his ears back and he'll chase the sack right but only when it's needed and like he showed up for the the, the tennessee game um he showed up in the super bowl when it counted too he's one of these guys where where he's you know, he hasn't been getting them sacks but then so the, so they're going to put him one on one versus the tackle thinking that the tackle's doing a good job and then once once the time like okay is you're going to single you're going to you know solo block me on a tackle for a legit pass play nope yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna it is disrespectful but but that's what yeah. he rolled him to sleep like that cuz you're like oh he ain't doing nothing He's not doing a thing. He hasn't got any stats. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, wow. Didn't see that coming. Right. And it's yeah. like, what are you doing? So, but they started double teaming in the second half. That yeah. Was it was great. Half. It was great to see him make plays. It was great to see his college buddy, Taco Charlton. And we talked about it earlier, make a big play. And uh, we, I don't think we actually mentioned it. Both Thornhill and Rashad Fenton had interceptions in the game, which was great to see. And obviously Tyron Matthew had the gift. Uh, after they took the the bogus penalty, took one of his interceptions away. They just Julian Edelman decided to to gift one to him. Uh, I saw I think it was Kent Swanson from Arrowhead Pride. Or, no, actually, excuse me. I, I love you, Kent, but I think it was uh, Carrington Harrison. I, I want to make sure I cite the the joke correctly. I, I don't not a joke stealer, Nick, um, but the joke on that the Julian Edelman pass was that was the hardest ball that Julian Edelman has had thrown at him in like eight years. So it surprised him. <laughs> Exactly. It took a while to get there, but the punchline is good. 
Because I like that. It was good. It was Tom good. Brady doesn't throw very hard for everyone that doesn't quite get it. That is the joke. Um, <laughs> anyway, the other observation I had, and I think we mentioned earlier, is just the, the Sammy Watkins fumble uh, when the Chiefs were up six to nothing and driving early in the game. That I feel like they punch it in right there and go up 13 nothing. I think the the, the complexion of the game changes completely. Uh, they were down to the Chiefs, uh, they're down to the Patriots 15 yard line, and they basically just gave it away. And I really felt like at the time I wrote down, like that's a turning point, regardless of what happens. The Patriots went down, they got a field goal and made it six, three. And then it seemed like the offense just kind of shut down on both sides of the ball, like just the, or the defense stepped up. That was always the great thing is either the offense is playing bad or the other guys are playing really good. With <laughs> four fumbles and nine penalties. Like, Oh, they, they intimidated us. They really did. They really did. They really did. You know, I, and I, I'd say I'd be remiss to not talk about the offensive line in, in the run game yeah. too. just normal, normal run game. Like, is it really wasn't, it was there and it wasn't there and there's just no real consistency. And it, it hasn't been like that all season. You know, the, the chiefs have not been able to run the ball effectively uh, over like overdrives. Like they had the one or two plays where they run it off tackle, or they run the sweeps, or they do the one where where you know Mahomes catches the gun and then dishes it, and it's a pass, but it's a sweep uh, or a jet sweep. And um, I just think it's something where where they need to click better with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I feel like they need to say, hey, listen, we're gonna build some plays in with with where where if you make a read and if the play say the play is going to the right tackle, it's it's going behind um, Schwartz. And say, make a read where if you see Fisher, if you see him get his defensive end, cut to that B gap, right? You got to give him some like built in like like audibles. I feel like now that he understands the offense, he can do some pass pro that I feel like you can do some stuff where like, hey, listen, now, rookie, we're going to ask you to do some things with the run game. We're going to make you make you make a read, right? Because he's really good at just following the play, like Plays right. going behind the guard. I'm going to run behind the guard, and there's nothing there. I'm just going to run behind him and drive my legs, and hopefully we can pop out something. So yeah. I feel like yeah. they need to, to make that next step with him. You know, yeah. he's got the yeah. offense down and say, listen, here's something you can read. And if you see it, hit it, but make sure you know no one's there to block for you. Yeah, the players never get in trouble by doing what they're told and what exactly. they're supposed to do either. Like, I'm not in those rooms, but as a rookie, I can understand him being like, nope, I'm going this way. Because like, no, Eric, the enemy, the, the future head coach of the Houston Texans is going to be waiting for me, and he's yes. not going to have a nice conversation with me about it. Correct, exactly. Here's Neelan McCullough or Andy Reid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no, it's so true, though. But 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 it does make sense. So like you saw in, in the first game versus the Texans that he did that like the first half and the second half, they're able to wear down the Texans. And then he was able to, to pop those big runs out. So, you know, that's the patience of of CEH. And what he brings is that is he's got that patience. And a lot of yeah. young, young running backs don't have that. And it's impressive. All right, we're going to throw like a bonus two-minute little segment in here just because it reminded me that we actually talked on this show last week about Eric Bieniemy deserving a head coaching opportunity. And I don't want to make light of not that he's ever going to see this or that anyone's ever going to pass it to him, but uh, anyone losing their job. Um, I don't care what the final record is. Anyone in the NFL that loses their job, uh, it's never a good thing to see. And with Bill, Bill O'Brien being relieved of his duties, both as the general manager and as the head coach, of the Houston Texans. It's a weird time to do this. I'm curious your thoughts as a former player. If you see this kind of like weeks 15, 16, 17 later in the season, it's really strange for it to happen this early, um, which means they were already thinking about it, which means either the owners already kind of had one foot 
not out the door, but like kicking him towards like out the door. Um, and I've got some thoughts on Bill O'Brien, just things that I've heard, but I'm curious your thoughts as a former player uh, for a head coach and a GM. Um, not that there's, there's still things during the season, obviously with the roster composition, but uh, that's a mess right now in Houston. It is. Well, I, I was on two St. Louis teams back to back in 07 and 08, and we started 0-8 twice. And you want to talk about miserable feeling is knowing that everybody is going to get fired. Like, you know that. And and you start playing for next year. You don't suck for a draft pick that's going to come replace you, right? You're playing to get on a team somewhere else when the new coach comes in, right? So to, to have that much firepower and to have, you know, Watson, a young quarterback in his prime, and to be going 0-4, that's – I think what they did was they, they said, this is unacceptable. Uh, we yeah, know you've yeah. done some things in the past. Uh, this Historically, you've won the AFC South, but historically not the strongest division. So yeah. winning, yeah. They, they, there's times what they wanted at low at 500, right? So it's not like he's winning it like when he's winning 12 games, right? He's winning it right. like nine or 10 game wins. So, so his overall record is not stellar. Right. The first round losses, you know, especially yeah, I'm yeah. sure you look at, you know, owners look at coaches from last season to this season and they're still pissed about that blowing a 24 point lead, probably the fake field goal or the fake punt. And then starting out on four when there's so much high expectations. I think it sends a message to the team. Say, look, here, where's expectations? He's not mean. He's and, not anything. And how you treat people. I'm not going to pretend yeah. to know everything I'm about to say is here's everything I'm just about to say is hearsay, but let's just say this, that you hear a lot of different things about a lot of different coaches. And I didn't hear a lot of positive things uh, either from the media or from the coaching scouting, like whatever it is, different people around the league on different areas inside the league. Um, Aaron Wilson, who covers, I think for the Houston Chronicle, Houston Texans been doing it a very long time, very well-respected journalist um, basically came out and said that when, you know, when, Bill O'Brien was let when he let other coaches go, some of his assistants or coordinators, uh, there was often a lot of swearing, a lot of get the hell out of here, a lot of uh, berating uh, as they were leaving. And he said that wasn't the case for Bill O'Brien's exit. Uh, But I would not be surprised to hear a lot of stories over the next week about things that happened or things that were said uh, during Bill O'Brien's time with the Texans based on, stories I've heard about just how he treated people. When you treat people a certain way and you don't have a lot of friends, people don't have a lot of reason to say nice things about you when there's a big news like this. There's going to be a line of people waiting to tell stories. And I'll just say that I'd be surprised if we didn't hear some um, over the next week. Cower, Cower, Bill Cower on the broadcast, he he, he said kind of like the same thing where, where he's been known he? to be negative and to be real confrontational. Uh, with people, with with management, with other coaches and players. And, I mean, it's yeah. kind of the opposite of Andy Reid, where Andy Reid's, you know, creating this family environment. And then Bill O'Brien's trying to create this sort of tough guy, you know, standoff environment. And it's like you get that enough when you play and when you practice that you don't want to be in the facility and, you know, kind of like having to be tough or having to, having to, to get into confrontations. Yeah. Like you want that to be a safe place. You want that to be your, your living room, right. Where it's peaceful. Not, and not, not that you want it to be like kumbaya and everybody to be hugging, but like 
it's the NFL. Like you don't have to fire everybody up at that. It's not high school football listening to ACDC exactly. to get you fired up enough to go hit somebody like I needed. Like just give me all the hard metallic I can handle. I'm good for 30 minutes. And then I'm just back to like not being aggressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Um, it just naturally Are wasn't there. But like, Exactly. No, I was just my eagle talon just jamming yeah. out, just being like, yeah. I, got somebody. I got 30 minutes. And then I'm like, why, why, why am I mad? Um, right. so like, <laughs> truth. Uh, but yeah, I, I'll tell one story cause I won't name the player's name, but it was, it was during the NFL combine. We went and hung out with some players behind the scenes and did some stuff. And one of the guys was telling a story about we're going to Bill O'Brien, uh, and the Texans for his draft visit, like his combine, like official visit. Mm-hmm. Let's just say like, Bill O'Brien wasn't thrilled about him as a player. And he, the player left confused on why they even met with him. Cause the whole time Bill O'Brien just told him how bad he was and just like picked at him and just gave him like, a, I can't swear. Just gave him a hard time the whole time. And he just left the whole time. He's like, why am I, why are you yelling at me? Like, why am I here? And he ended up not going to the Texans surprisingly enough. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've actually followed the player uh, a little bit in his career. The Chiefs played against him. Um, but anyway, that was one of the stories I've heard about Bill O'Brien just being strange, but I kind of chalked that one up to maybe he just wanted to know how the player would react. Cause sometimes you hear those weird combine stories yeah. maybe that had something to do with it, but either way, uh, Eric Bianami's opportunity potentially to go down to Houston. I, I think the interesting dynamic with this, that hopefully people at the national level, because they're so good at what they do, will start to feel this if it's true. But from what I gather, I think the Texans have learned, and I think when you look at some of the successful NFL franchises, that the best ones, the GM and the head coach, have great relationships, and they yeah. they work together. And the Texans tried it with one guy um, who it didn't didn't work out with. And if if it is going to be like an Eric Bieniemy, then I want to throw Mike Borgonzi's name in the hat to be the GM of two guys. If you want to replicate what successful franchises are doing the most successful franchise in the NFL right now currently is the Kansas city chiefs. And you take the guys that have been successful. Mike Borgonzi is phenomenal as the number two. He's been with the chiefs for a long time. He was here before Andy Reid came here. And if Eric Bieniemy wants to work with somebody that he's been familiar with the last few years, and they want that pairing of guys that he's worked with, I'm going to connect those dots. Cause I know both those guys. And I think they'd be phenomenal for the Houston Texans. They could. And I think with the enemy's background being a, a New Orleans native, uh, that's just right down the street, right down 10 from from New Orleans. And, you know, that heat and humidity. And I think that the enemy would be be home down there in South Texas. Um, crappy thing to say, middle of the season, you know, there's not going to be any speculation until afterwards, but you, <laughs> yes. you have to mention it. Oh, every other coach in the NFL with a hot coordinator or somebody that could be a head coach is really annoyed because now the questions are going to start. I'm sure I didn't listen to the whole presser, but Andy Reid may have been asked about it. Like, would you let a coordinator interview for another job midseason? And he's like, hell no. Like, I I don't want to put words in his mouth, but Eric Bieniemy wants to win a Super Bowl with the guys he's doing right with what he's doing right now and then get the opportunity of his lifetime after that. But um, I know a lot's going to be made about Eric Bieniemy and why he hasn't gotten jobs before. I'll tell you this. You can say whatever you want about Eric Bieniemy and, and getting up in front of the presser and answering questions as if that's his resume or if that's somehow part of his interview process. The interview process should be calling the players around the league, some of which are in the Texans locker room, one of which is Zach Fulton, an offensive lineman. Ask him what he thinks of Eric Bieniemy and how they respond 
to him, not what fans think about a press conference. Ask the guys in the locker room that have been there with him that will not say anything negative about that dude and is a guy who can check a grown man and they'll love him for it. And I couldn't say more positive things, parroting exactly what we said last week about Eric bien But that being said, we're going to table this. We're not going to talk about it every week because we wanted to win another Super Bowl with us, then get his payday, go down to Houston, and uh, hopefully win a lot of AFC Souths uh, and then lose to the Chiefs in the playoffs. Correct. Correct. All right, let's go to the last segment, Nick, because we just extended this show with a two-minute segment. It became a 15-minute segment. Um, but anyway, let's go to the pay it forward. Um, story time segment, Nick. This one's my favorite because I want to give a little context to what this segment is and what we're doing with Outside the Trenches and Pay It Forward is we're asking you guys um, as people in the Kansas City community or if you know people that live in the Kansas City community just because of local delivery, um, if you know somebody that's either going through something right now and needs a little bit of a pick-me-up or someone that is helping others get through something. It could be somebody, it could be a, a frontline worker in healthcare. It could just be somebody that's doing something nice for the community, whatever it is. If you know somebody deserves some barbecue, let us know. And we will send a quarterback stack tailgate package. That is sausage, wings, ribs, corn, beans, all of that. We will send that barbecue to them for a chief's game or during the week, whenever they want to enjoy it as a way for you to pay it forward through us. And then we can help you pay it forward to somebody in the community that deserves some free barbecue as a way just to, to reward people who are doing good things um, in the community. Right, Nick? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think, I think for me, my, my, my pay it forward is that uh, I was at Starbucks the other day with the family and uh, just getting a coffee after one of the kids soccer games and somebody in front of us purchased our Starbucks. So I was, I was excited. I'm like, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. So every time now I'm in a Starbucks drive-thru, I'll always pay it forward that way. So I, I like how I've sort of incorporated that um, after, you know, our, our podcast and, and Jack Stack for sponsoring us and for doing this pay it forward thing. Uh, even for when you paid it forward with, for, for frontline workers during the pandemic early part. Um, so I appreciated that. And I know that I think it's the little things in life that, that really are the big things. And, and I think if you can do something special like that and bright someone's day, right, we never know um, what people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So I think just the little things yeah. that can help out, it can help someone. So I appreciated that person who paid for my family Starbucks. Thank you. Awesome. Really cool. Um, I did something kind of similar. I had kind of crowdsourced on Twitter just because with the game being moved, uh, you know, there's going to be those stories of, you know, people that this was their one Chiefs game to go to or just something that this COVID and Cam Newton testing positive and Jordan Ta'amu testing positive, the game moving 24 hours. Um, you know, I knew there was somebody out there that had a story. And so I put it on Twitter, like, does anybody know anything of anybody that struggled? And um, got a story back from um, a girl that, you know, had traveled with her mom from California. And I kind of got another Chiefs fan had tagged her and I saw the story on, um, on the news that they had done on her. And I reached out to her and was able to, through my friend, um, tried to send a few texts. I didn't do a whole lot, um, but sent a few texts to my buddy that works at Jack Stack at Freight House. And they hosted her and her mom for dinner last night, took care of them. She had a great time. She put it out on Twitter and I quote tweeted it. But um, you're just one of those, you sit back and you're like, I can't help everybody, you know, but what can I do? I can try to help one person. And so I'm going to use social media to do that. And got a hold of somebody that, could use a little pick me up and her and her family and uh, this girl and her mom had been through some stuff with their family recently. And um, it was her first chiefs game. It was the first time in Kansas city, first time having Kansas city barbecue and mm-hmm. you can help somebody be a part of that process. Um, it's really cool. And I wasn't going to try to draw a whole lot of attention to it other than, you know, 
I pay it forward because we talk about it. I ask other people to pay it forward. Um, no more than that. Not trying to, you know, pat yourself on the back for being, for doing cool stuff, but, uh, that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. So if you've got anybody, uh, that you got a story for, or, uh, that deserves some barbecue, let us know. And Nick, real quick, do you have any Patriots type stories before we close this show out with the pay it forward story time segment? I, I always thought it's more of a Foxborough thing, but I always thought it bizarre that um, when we go to Foxborough, you'd be driving, you'd be like crisscrossing to these neighborhoods. And yeah. then you're like thinking, where the hell are we? Because there's like trees and stuff like that. And you're like, we're in like this weird neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, just it just pops out in Gillette Stadium just out of nowhere. So I always thought that was a trip. Um, what was that? You're like, what the hell? Where are like, I have no clue where we're at. And then all of a sudden you're there. You're like, okay, this is interesting. Yeah, it. Every time we played Foxborough, we ended up staying in like Rhode Island. Like I'm not yeah. going to say like yeah. where we stayed or anything like that because I don't need security calling me and getting mad. Um, but it was always you play enough places, and it seemed like we played in New England every year for like six years, and you always stay in the same hotels or the same like general area. So like you know the restaurants, like you know where to go, like you know what to order. Um, but I was trying to think of like a cool story. I don't like have any like really cool juicy stories that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, that were Patriots related. The one that we shared before that we've talked about was when the equipment got lost. And Alan Wright, <laughs> and when I saw it on Twitter and I went to Alan Wright, our equipment guy, he was still like two or three hours before the game when I finally, when I saw it and I ran over to him and I was like, oh my God, I'm like, can I help? Like, what can I do? And he was like, it's already fixed. The equipment will be here soon. I was like, it, it just got on Twitter. He's like, yeah, they're like three hours late. Fans were like freaking out about it. Like all the problems were solved. They figure out what had happened. And then the only other story that I'm going to share is a really dumb story, but it's just the power of social media and like the job I used to have uh, is the playoff game that we lost at the Patriots with Alex Smith um, going into that game. The one piece of news as the chiefs reporter that I was always able to break, you know, like breaking news. Cause we we're always like four days behind on any other kind of news. Um, but like, inactives before a game like that was the one thing like i was at the officials meeting like i was standing there when they officially got handed in for who was there and not media is not allowed at that and like i seem to be the only team reporter who was ever at that meeting <laughs> so which i still think is kind of interesting but um was able to be there and that was the game that like there was a question of jeremy macklin like was he going to play i think he had an ankle or something and adam teicher with the espn had wrote jeremy macklin is normally out here warming up at this time and he's not so he's probably inactive the chiefs fan this is a playoff game so like chiefs fans are freaking out everyone's like he's not playing and like i'm seeing it on my phone like standing at the meeting when they announced that he's active and i was just like oh my god and pr normally the rule is i may get it at like 97 minutes prior to kickoff but i can't tweet it until 90 minutes because that's the rule um or whatever but on this case, because everyone's freaking out, I was like, I'm going early. Like, screw it. Like, it's the playoffs. <laughs> we lose the season's over anyway. I was like, I'm going three minutes early. Like, I don't care. I tweeted it. And, Nick, I swear to God, I had, like, 2,000 retweets in, like, 45 seconds. And that was because, like, all the national reporters didn't have it yet. It was, like, the one piece ended up not mattering. Uh, because right. he played, like, four plays and then sat out. And that's why Alex Smith, it took him, like, nine minutes to drive down the field because he had no one to throw the ball to. Uh, different different story. Uh, but I'll never forget, like, the, I'm going early. Like, I just went 180 oh, seconds rebel. early. Such I went 180 in the And I think it was, like, my first year, my second year there. So, like, I hadn't been there all that long. And so it was still cool to me that, like, people I hadn't talked to in years were like, Rich Eisen's talking about you on NFL Network. <laughs> like, news. And I was like, I just, cause I went 180 seconds early. Like I yeah, probably picked up like 
2000 Twitter followers in like a minute. Like I've never had anything go that crazy before. And that was the Patriots. And that's my stupid story. Thanks for still listening. No, no problem. That's a good story. I like that. You're such a rebel. 90 seconds early. Just imagine if you'd have waited. 180 seconds early, jackass. Okay. Give me a little bit more credit. You are a rebel. Ten thirty at night. I got four percent battery left on my computer. This whole thing's about to fall apart. Nick, uh, you know what, Nick? You don't get the parting words for this episode. We appreciate all you for listening. Please continue to pay it forward. Let us know who to send barbecue to. I love sending barbecue. And uh, thanks to Jack Stack, they allow us to do this. And thanks to Jack Stack again for being the sponsor of the show. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're planning and they're do- doing behind the scenes of ways they want to help. You know, give back to the community. And like we're working through all those things right now. Hopefully, we'll have some more stuff to announce on this show soon but nick you are fired uh because of that comment from the final word so justin get yourself in here if you're still awake back there and give us a final story or a final thought you got 30 seconds i don't, I don't have a story for you i don't my life's not as interesting as uh as former chiefs reporter bj and former <laughs> nfl player nick you wasted <laughs> 15 seconds get something let's go i just sit here and watch football i i, I don't know good night Good night, Chiefs Nation. Like we'll we'll, we'll talk in the morning when we uh, when we Chiefs celebrate Kingdom. early. Chiefs Kingdom. Sorry. There we go. There we go. We'll put his Twitter account out. You can reply with Chiefs Kingdom with everything Justin tweets. So thank you all for listening. I thank you for making it to the very end. That was a ridiculous ending. But we appreciate all of you. We'll catch you next week as the Chiefs play their second game in like less than a week, and then another game like three days later as uh, the war of attrition is very real for the Chiefs here early in the season. Nick, I will let you have a final word because I'm a bleeding heart and I don't have the heart to not let you speak. Bunch of walkthroughs, kiddos. And victory Tuesday? Yeah. National Player Day off day? I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm going to tweet the dude gif in the morning driving to work day. Yes, That's yes. what I'm going to do. That thing is taking on a life of its own. And it. I'm glad my legacy is the dude going like this in the car. Gotta have something. I was almost night at the Roxbury with the head. <laughs> Twitter won't understand that reference. Peace. Thanks for listening, everybody. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com